Section 11 of The Welsh and Their Literature by George Borrow. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Eric Metzler. Section 11. The above is an outline of the work of Ellis Wynne. An extraordinary work it is. In it there is a singular mixture of the sublime and the coarse, of the terrible and ludicrous, of religion and levity, of the styles of Milton, of Bunyan, and of Quevedo. There is also much in it that is Welsh, and much that may be said emphatically to belong to Ellis Wynne alone. The book is written in the purest Cambrian, and from the time of its publication has enjoyed extensive popularity in Wales. It is, however, said that the perusal of it has not infrequently driven people mad, especially those of a serious and religious turn. The same thing is said in Spain of the life of Ignatius Loyola. Peter Williams in La Vengro, the Welsh preacher who is haunted with the idea that he had committed the sin against the Holy Ghost, is frequently mentioning the work of Ellis Wynne. Amongst other things, he says that he took particular delight in its descriptions of the torments of hell. We have no doubt that many an Englishman, of honest Welsh Peter's gloomy temperament, when he reads the work in its present dress, will experience the same kind of fearful joy. The translation is accompanied by notes explanatory of certain passages of the original beyond the comprehension of the common reader. These notes are good, as far as they go, but they are not sufficiently numerous, as many passages relating to ancient manners and customs, perfectly intelligible, no doubt, to the translator, must, for want of proper notes, remain dark and mysterious to his readers. In the vision of hell a devil who returns from the world to which he has been dispatched, and who gives an account of his mission, says that he had visited two young maidens in Wales who were engaged in turning the shift. Not a few people, ladies amongst the rest, will be disposed to ask what is meant by turning the shift. Mr. Barrow gives elsewhere the following explanation. It was the custom in Britain in ancient times for the young maiden, who wished to see her future lover, to sit up by herself at Hallamass Eve, wash out her smock, shift, or chemise—call it which of the three you please—place it on a linen horse before the fire, and watch it whilst drying, leaving the door of the room open, in the belief that exactly as the clock began to strike twelve the future bridegroom would look in at the door, and remain visible till the twelfth stroke had ceased to sound. Of the notes which Mr. Barrow has given, the most important is certainly that which relates to Taliesin, who, in the vision of death, is described as sitting in Hades, watching a cauldron which is hanging over a fire, and continually going bubble-bubble. We give it nearly entire. Taliesin lived in the sixth century. He was a foundling, discovered in his infancy lying in a coracle on a salmon wheel in the domain of Elfin, a prince of North Wales, who became his patron. During his life he arrogated to himself a supernatural descent and understanding, and for at least a thousand years after his death he was regarded by the descendants of the ancient Britons as a prophet or something more. The poems which he produced procured for him the title of Bardic King. They display much that is vigorous and original but are disfigured by mysticism and extravagant metaphor. When Ellis Wynne represents him as sitting by a cauldron in Hades, he alludes to a wild legend concerning him, 
to the effect that he imbibed awen or poetical genius whilst employed in watching the seething pot of the sorcerer's cridwen which legend has much in common with one of the irish legends about finn mccool which is itself nearly identical with one in the edda describing the manner in which sigurd vafnisbane became possessed of supernatural wisdom it is curious enough that the legend about deriving wisdom from sucking the scalded finger should be found in wales ireland and scandinavia but so it is and mr barrow is clearly entitled to the credit of having been the first to point out to the world this remarkable fact in his work called the romany rye published some years ago a story is related containing parts of the early history of the irish mythic hero fion macomal or finn macool in which there is an account of his burning his thumb whilst smoothing the skin of a fairy salmon which is broiling over a fire and deriving supernatural knowledge from thrusting his thumb into his mouth and sucking it and mr barrow tells the relator of that legend his amusing acquaintance murtach that the same tale is told in the edda of sigurd the serpent killer with the difference that sigurd burns his finger not whilst superintending the broiling of a salmon but whilst roasting the heart of fafnir the man-serpent whom he had slain footnote in a late number of the transactions of the dublin oceanic society a most admirable institution there is an account of the early life of finn mccool in which the burnt finger is mentioned but that number did not appear till more than a year subsequent to the publication of the romany rye and contains not the slightest allusion either to fafnisbane i e the slayer of fafnir or taliesin in the edacol or the cymric legend End of footnote. here in his note on taliesin he shows that the same thing in substance is said of the ancient welsh bard of the three versions of the legend the one of which sigurd fafnisbane is the hero is probably the most original and is decidedly the most poetical end of section eleven recording by eric metzler albuquerque new mexico united states of america end of the welsh and their literature by george borrow